0: A reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians this morning. It's a prayer, actually, not just a reading, one of the more beautiful prayers I think you will ever hear. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, and this is the New Living Translation. I pray that from God's glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. The Word of God for the people of God. I learned to play golf in a hayfield along the Ustanala River, or at least it used to be a hayfield. There was an old grouchy cantankerous retired marine an ancient gunnery sergeant who could have defended could have defeated the entire North Korean army single-handedly i think if they had just turned him loose. He converted those river bottoms to this beautiful nine-hole golf course a perfect example of cow pasture pool if there ever was one. And he acted offended When you showed up to play. I mean, he wanted your money. But he didn't want you messing his course up. And he was a little bit difficult to deal with. You would park your car and you would gather your clubs. And you went and paid your green fees on the front porch of the farmhouse. And his wife was usually the cashier. A sign above her head said, in God we trust Everybody else pays cash. She was only a degree or two warmer in her reception than the old sergeant. And they had this dog that had taken on the same temperament as the Marine. A giant wolf-like creature, a German shepherd that stood waist tall and had a head as big as a truck tire. His name was Stryker. And he was terrifying. He never barked, really. He sulked. He plodded about in the parking lot. He prowled along the porch. He would sometimes be waiting for you at the first tee box, his lip right on the edge of a snarl. And you could hit a more confident tee shot at the U.S. Open with a million cameras on you than that hundred-pound German shepherd laying there just feet away watching you. I arrived one day to play with this old man that is long gone now, but he taught me to play the game. And this was his favorite place to play. And Stryker was exceptionally irritated that day. He was stalking and walking the parking lot. He was pacing back and forth and uh, terrifying his death. And I was getting my clubs, and I was just watching him. Like, if I turn around, this dog is going to bite me. And I started moving slowly toward the farmhouse to lay my money down, and out of nowhere I heard the most horrific barking. And bursting off the porch and bearing down on me was another dog, one that I had not met yet. His name was Chi. And if I say Che, forgive me for that. Judy has a dog named Che, and Che's with us today. I'll try not to say it too much. He'll start barking at me too. He's sleeping. Good I do have that effect on people. She comes tearing across the yard, barking and frothing like the gunnery sergeant in the Battle of Chosin. And he latched to my leg like the Tasmanian devil off of an old Bugs Bunny cartoon. Ah, Tearing me up, all four pounds of him. (laughs) She was a little white chihuahua. And to this day, the meanest damn dog I have ever met in my entire life. I played that golf course for years until old Sarge had a stroke and his wife sold the place. And in all those years, Big Striker never bit a soul and rarely barked. She tried to bite every single golfer that ever arrived on property. Now, I'm a dog person. I love dogs, but never have I wanted to punt an animal into the river like that one. Here he'd come. And I just want to say, I'm going to punch you right in the face. And I knew if I did that, Striker would jump on me and maul me to death. And whatever was left of me, the Sarge would kill me with the M1 carbine that was propped up at the door. Have you ever noticed that it's the little dog that barks the most? It's the little dog that will chew your leg off, or at least take the hem out of your trousers. Trying? There's actually something called small dog syndrome. It's true. I wish Dr. Barry were here today to confirm this. One of our dogs has a terrible case of this disease. It is characterized by domination, trying to be in charge, snarling at others, other people, other dogs, no matter how large. Attempts to bite others who are new, you think? Barking at any new noise that they hear. Peeing on everything, marking territory. And why does our Toby and Sarge's Chi act like this? Because they are inherently foul-tempered? No. Because they are afraid. Because they are small. Imagine that your view of the world is from ten inches off the ground. Imagine being five or ten pounds or four pounds against the world. You would bark too, at most everything. The little dog must announce his presence and make himself known any way he can, lest he get stomped, punted, eaten, or run over. It is his smallness. It is his anxiety. It is his insecurity. It is his fear. It is having something to prove and to protect that causes the little dog to be as mean as he is. And it's also why Stryker never had to bark. You don't have to bark when you're as big as Stryker, you just walk into a place and people grant you space. Because you got nothing to prove you got nothing to protect, you got nothing to bark at, nothing to bite, because there is a strength in and of yourself that is enough. He was never afraid all the day long and never at night. Hank Williams wrote a song about this about 70 years ago. Move it on over. He was way ahead of his time. Came in last night, half past ten, the baby of mine won't let me in, so move it on over, move it on over, move over little dog, the big dog's moving in. Oh, Hank gets thrown out of the house, so he's literally in the doghouse. Move over skinny dog, because a fat dog's coming in. Move over nice dog, because a mad dog's moving in. Move it on over, move it on over. Move over silent and stalky striker, because barking and chewy chi is moving in. Now, you ask, how does this story, how do these dogs relate to this beautiful prayer that Paul has offered on behalf of the Ephesians? I mean, Paul does mention dogs in the New Testament. In the book of Philippians, he says, beware of those dogs. And he begins to describe these false teachers. But he doesn't use that phrase here. What does this have to do with the text? Everything. Absolutely everything. Because so many of us simply have a bad case of small dog syndrome. We are rife with anxiety. We are torn apart by our inadequacies. We feel that we aren't enough. The world is so forbidding, so dangerous. It's like the words of that ancient Breton prayer prayed by their fishermen. Dear God, be good to me because the sea is so wide and my boat is so small. We're always Protecting, always clinging, always proving something, always barking, always having to mark our territory. Because we do not have an inner strength to do anything but that. Someone said to me last week after the service, it was Nancy by the way, that someone. She said, I just feel so loved being here today. And it really is a remarkable thing to say, Nancy. That's a remarkable thing for any of us to say when we've been somewhere and we say, I feel loved. I feel accepted. And she said it with her arms doing this. Just, you know, you know that feeling? That feeling of, of relaxation, like falling into a giant comfy couch. And so this week, I've just imagined Nancy sitting on her couch, wrapped in a blanket by the fire hot cocoa in her hand, marshmallows on top. It's a great place to be. The sense of, I don't have to do a thing. I can just be here. And I said to her, when she said she felt so loved, I said, well, hang on to that. Because a lot of us, and there are a lot of people in this world, that don't know what that's like. And she went, hmm. I'm going to think about that. I hope you have been, Nancy, because I've been thinking about it since I said it. And I want you to think about it today. Two weeks ago, I talked about crazy love. We need crazy love for a crazy world. That's what is needed. It's the only thing that's going to heal our personal souls. It's the only thing that's going to heal our society. Do you still agree with that? Do you still agree with that? Do you? Okay. Okay. Last week, the next step, if crazy love is what, then how? How do we become these conduits of grace and love? We have to be crucified with Christ, Paul tells us. We must find our identity in Him. That's the only way. We lose ourselves and gain it in Him. Do you still agree with that? Well, when you identify fully with the risen Christ, here is what you discover. You are truly loved. You are enough just how you are. You have everything you need, and there is nothing left to prove or to protect. You are the object of God's unending affection, and that love will empower you from within. That love will hold you, strengthen you, sustain you, settle you. And that love can then be passed on to others. I wonder if we might get the scripture slide again, Garrett. I pray that from God's glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I mean, who wouldn't sign up for that? Inner strength, Paul says. Christ at home within you, he says. Rooted in God's love, he says. The wide, long, high, deep love of God, bringing your life to fullness and to completeness, you can quit barking, quit biting, quit snipping, quit marking your territory. When you are loved, when you are really loved, it gives you the satisfaction that you need. It cures your I'm not enough syndrome. There's a saying that if you can't run with the big dogs, you better stay on the porch. Stay on the porch. That's right. But the problem with that statement is this. Big dogs don't run much. They don't have to. They stay on the porch. They're through chasing. What's there left to chase? They're settled. They're at home. They're peaceful. Nothing to bark at. Nothing to prove. What a great space in which to live your life. Nothing to chase. Nothing to prove. Those who are loved, and again, most people don't know what that is like Have that sense of identity I was talking about last week where they don't really know who they are. But those who are loved know that, in spite of their failures and their blunders and their regrets, that they are beloved by God and have the capacity to love others. But if you are filled with this sense, That you'll never be good enough, you'll never measure up, you don't deserve to be loved, you shouldn't be forgiven. If you have never experienced unconditional, no strings attached, I'm on your side acceptance, then you can never give that to someone else. That's why when we tell Christians all the time, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, and we wonder why we can't, is because we don't have that love of God experienced within our own selves to be able To give it away. Now we might call some of our experiences love, but is that really what it is? I do for you, you do for me. That's not necessarily love. Oh, I'll love you so long as I'm pleased with you. I'll love you so long as you remain attractive. I'll love you if you remain under my control. I'll love you if you do what I say. I'll freely hand you my acceptance, my affections, my support, my encouragement, my presence. But if you screw this thing up, I'm going to just as quickly withdraw those things from you. And then it's shame on you. How dare you? Look at what you made me do. It's no wonder the world is filled with yapping. This world is filled with people who are fragile and defensive and angry and needy, begging for a few emotional strokes, constantly needing affirmation, going to suicidal measures to be, to be accepted. We are slaves to the expectations of others, doing and saying things we don't mean, to hold on to approval we don't need, wasting time and energy that we don't have. And for what? A couple pats on the head from people that are as screwed up as we are? It's emotional blackmail, but it's not love. It's a psychological transaction, but it's not love. It's insulation against being lonely, but it's not love. And nothing about it will change by continuing to dig empty wells, by continuing to drink the sand of those efforts. Only love is the cure. The love of God planted within us, as Jesus said to the woman on the well, it will be like a spring of living water inside of you. This prayer really could be a watershed for you. May you have the the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is. And Paul says something similar in Romans 8. The language is so strikingly similar, especially in the original language. Paul says there, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future, powers, heights, depths, or anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Garrett asked me a question this week, and it was a good one. It was a whole series of questions. When when did you start going in this direction that you're in now? I was like, "What?" I was driving. When did you begin thinking about church and God and theology? When did when did you first have those changes in the way that you're thinking? And I guess I've always been bent in an odd direction. And it would be easy for me to say if I if I just did a windshield tour of my life, That, you know, after I had a divorce and experienced extreme rejection from the faith community that had shaped me and formed me, that that was it, but that really wasn't it. It was the aftermath of that, where I was driven to a good bit of introspection and self-evaluation, a lot of solitude, and in the midst of this, a lot of doubt, and a lot of deconstruction, a lot of uncertainty. All those those things are okay in the life of faith. They're all okay. Well, I was with a group of pastors uh, at lunch one day, and I let my guard down. And boy, just as a side, and we probably should edit this out. Be careful letting you guard down with a group of pastors. Pastors by themselves are really good by themselves. You get a group of them together, I start getting nervous. That's a joke, but anyway. I was at this luncheon with these pastors. I let my guard down and began to talk about some of my doubts. About some of the things that we've made so important that just don't seem that important anymore to me. About theology, about faith, about life, about God. And one of them challenged me with a question. He said, Don't you love God anymore? And I answered almost jokingly. I said, I don't know. I don't know if I love God anymore. But I know that God loves me. And when it left my lips... In a big boy Shoney's restaurant in Calhoun, Georgia. Something happened when I said that. And anything good or just or healthy or whole. That has ever come from my life since that moment. Is because of that moment. And if you ask me today. Don't you love God? My answer is pretty much the same. I, sometimes. Maybe. I think. I don't know. But I'm absolutely convinced with everything that I am that God loves me. And it's not because I'm special. Because God loves you like that too. I forget that sometimes. Sometimes. And it's easy for me to go bouncing off the porch and barking and yipping at things, isn't it? It's easy for the small dog syndrome to come roaring back and think I've got something to prove. I've got to show people that I'm right. I've got to show people how smart I am. I've got to prove this, prove that, protect that, mark that territory. That comes back. But when it does, I do my very best, Nancy, to go, <sighs> and try to find my way back to that couch and wrap up in that blanket and pour that cocoa with the marshmallows and just go, <sighs> that's the place to live. If we get this, somehow, some way, if this can sink into us, We will understand that we have been unworthy. We have been undeserving. We have been undone, unnerved, unsettled, and unraveled. I have been unwanted, unlucky, and unqualified, but I have never been unloved, and neither have you. And if that gets into the core of our being, a whole new world opens up to be free. Free to be yourself. Free to be in the right relationship with God, with others, and with the world around you.